Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 298. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I am joined this morning, evening, morning. I, Man, I don't want to do this. Any- I'm going to start over. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 298. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I'm joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. And this episode, we also have returning guest, Marco Sanchez. Hi, Marcos. Hello, everyone. Hello. And this is our uh, Lord of the Rings pre-release episode. Yeah, well, set of the, words I never expected to hear. Yeah, the, the the set is so large, and it's going to be um, at a lot of different events this weekend coming up. So we wanted to try and fit this in and get a pre-release episode out there to all of our loyal listeners and even the non-loyal ones. You know who you are. We're watching you, right? This is you know <laughs> for the fans for the listeners that wouldn't take a bullet for us. This is this is also is going out to you. All right. So was that in some fine print I didn't read when I started listening to Judge Cash? No, don't worry you, about that it. That you have to take a bullet. No, it actually yeah. it actually changes. Uh, that was Brogan's rider, but then when she left, ah. you know, you no longer had to take a bullet for us. Uh, oh. for, for read the fine print, people. Yeah, yeah. For me, you just have to send me a dollar every week, and some of y'all. You gotta you owe a lot of interest. Like a lot. Check out those show notes, right. everyone. Right. Okay. So, as tempting as it is to continue with this nonsense, let's talk about the the uh the myriad of different types of cards that are associated with this this release. Well, why do we need to do that? Because it's weird. It is. So we have uh different card legalities yeah. issues. That we have to worry about, right? Yeah. Uh, Lord of the Rings is uh, is going to be a straight to modern set. Uh, it is not your standard uh, four times year standard set. <laughs> it's yeah. not your that standard, makes standard sense. set. That that makes sense. Standard standard. Uh, yeah. Standard standard. Uh, it's actually a modern legal set. So any card that's printed with the LTR code in the bottom is permitted in modern and the usual eternal suspects that go along with that pioneer and so forth. Yeah, and it does it does not extend the cards with the LTC though. And this is weird because there is there's a, a jumpstart uh, jumpstart packs for Middle Earth, and there's unique cards in there. And there is what is it like gift set cards, and then there are box topper cards, and then there's the commander cards, and they all have different codes. They all have different rules, and and even with limited. With the sealed pools that people will be opening this weekend, inside the box there is a card that you cannot play in your sealed pool. Yeah, the pre-release packs, which is yeah, yeah. always fun. Yeah, is yeah. yeah. No tangents. No tangents. No tangents. Got to stay on. No tangents. No time. Stay on focus. All right. So, um, so look on the bottom. LTR means good for modern. LTC means good for commander, legacy, and vintage, unless unless. <laughs> It is an LTC card that is actually not legal in the Commander format. The For example, Caracas. Doesn't the C in LTC mean Commander? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Uh, 
flowcharts in rules, flowcharts in product codes, who knows, but just just look up the card's legality if you're concerned about where to play it and hope for the best. It's hope you just, have an understanding play group. So but, but bully for but bully for you if you open that Caracas, it is very pretty. Uh, but the uh, oh, yeah. the rules committee for Commander has already come out with a statement that says, nope, sorry, it's not going to be legal. All right. So very central to the Lord of the Rings story is the one ring, right? <laughs> just just the one. Just the one. Just the one. I have... Just the one, not the seven? Hundred? So four. One? For Command Fest, I have actually been starting to practice the Black Speech One Ring poem. Just, oh boy! Just saying, I've I hope been, somebody record. I hope somebody records that. I have been told that I will have a device that will hook into the PA system to let me play music, <laughs> and I will do that. I've been told this. Now, whether or not somebody it better happens, record this for me, please. Whether it happens, it. all right. But the One Ring, central to the story, probably makes sense to be central to the set, right? So what? How they how they tie this in? Well, they want to tempt you with that ring beyond just putting the ring in the set, because of course they're going to put the ring in the set. They want a mechanic that is going to tempt you with the ring, specifically called the Ring Tempts You. Little on the nose, but okay. So. The ring tempts you mechanic is, I guess, part dungeon, part emblem, part equipment, maybe, kind of. But ultimately all upside, which some people have some opinions about. Uh, this is something that's come up here and there on, on the socials, on the Twitters, maybe. I'm some people. But uh, <laughs> are, you did are you, some did people. Did you hear that whisper? <laughs> I'm one of those people. That So, so... This destroys the like the whole mecha- it it takes me out of the the mechanic. It's so blaringly not in flavor. I will be super upfront about this as we dive deep into Lord of the Rings lore and all the deep cuts that are in this set. I am not a super high end Lord of the Rings lore master or anything like that. I'm ambivalent about it. I don't feel anything negative to it, but it was never one of the things I dove that deep into. So. I'm- if you want to go off on that, okay. go nuts. I'm just saying, even if you don't understand what the ring is to the story, just, you know, X tempts you. Ooh, it, it, it tempts me. It tries to get me to do a thing that I really shouldn't. There is no, I really shouldn't. It's like, yes, tempt me, please. Tempt me, baby. Oh, baby, tempt me hard. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just, it's... Yeah, I see. Eh. Okay. I see where you're coming okay, from here, but but, but what, what's it tempt you to do? What's what's it do? Well, the ring is an emblem that is created whenever the ring tempts you for the first time. Uh, many cards will have the phrase "the ring tempts you" as a rider or the quote-unquote counterspell with a set mechanic, whatever it may be. So, in this case, the ring will tempt you. Once it tempts you for the first time, you get that emblem, and it actually has multiple abilities on the emblem. So that as you continue to be tempted by the ring over and over again, you'll get more and more abilities. You'll grow more and more powerful because you're being deeper tempted by the ring. So let's actually look at that. Are we wanting to read through all the wall of text on the ring emblem here? Excellent. (laughs) So the ring tempts you once. Your ring bearer is legendary and can't be blocked 
by creatures with greater power. We're going to get there. Whenever your ring bearer attacks, this is a second ability. You tend to buy the ring a second time. Whenever your ring bearer attacks, draw a card, then discard a card. Whenever your ring bearer becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller sacrifices it at the end of combat. And finally, the fourth, whenever your ring bearer deals combat damage to a player, each opponent loses three life. Yeah, those are all pretty sweet. I'm I'm down to be tempted by the ring. Let's go. But there's really no temptation. Never mind. I've said my piece. <laughs> Stay focused. All right. So let's focus on the ring tempting you and how this works mechanically. As the ring tempts you, you're going to get this emblem named the ring, and it's going to have all four of these abilities laid out on it. And specifically, you'll get this emblem if you don't already have one. Then your emblem will gain the next ability in that list. So if it's your first time being tempted, you're going to get the emblem, and then it's going to gain that first ability. And in order to choose a ring bearer or make a ring bearer legendary, that means you have to choose a creature you control to become your ring bearer or remain your ring bearer if they were already chosen that way. Now, every time you get tempted by the ring, you will add on another ability going down the list. And ultimately, I mean, your temptation of the ring can be caused by either a trigger. And if it's by a trigger, your opponent can respond. But once you are tempted and that triggers resolving, your opponent cannot respond anymore. So for example, they can't see what creature you are making your ring bearer and then kill it in response. It's going to throw on that ring and do its Frodo thing. I don't know. I'm going to make bad references here. Should have put a ring on it. Yes. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, The ring bearer also doesn't target. So it does get around anything like shroud that would prevent you from otherwise targeting it. Now, even more rules to go along with this ring emblem. Now, you can choose a creature that you control to be your ring bearer. And if you keep the same ring bearer every time you choose a ring bearer, which happens every time you gain an ability on the ring or are tempted by the ring, you'll still get the effect of any cards that trigger whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer. Essentially, when you leave it as it is, that's still choosing that creature, even though if may just be an implicit choice there. Oh yeah, you're still cool. You can still carry the ring for me. You're fine. You also have to choose a ring bearer if you have a creature. You can't choose to not choose a ring bearer if you have one there. However, if you don't control any creatures, then the ring will still tempt you and you were still tempted for the sake of the mechanic and it will still gain the next ability. You just won't have a creature to be affected by this ring that is tempting you so. And even further, some abilities where the ring tempts you does have a target on it. So if those targets are removed, then the whole ability would be countered and the ring won't end up tempting you. So again, let's say with this counter spell that has the ring tempts you as a rider on it, you cast a counter spell targeting a spell on the stack, your opponent then decides to counter their own spell, then your spell no longer has a legal target. And the entire spell is countered, including that temptation by the ring. And the last thing on this one, I promise, I hope, we'll see. The ring will gain all of its abilities from top to bottom. So it goes sequentially as you go down the token card. Once it has an ability, it just has it for the rest of the game. Just like any emblem, it lives in your command zone. And it cannot lose any of these abilities that it's gained or be reset from the beginning. Not like a dungeon where you can venture into a new one or start being tempted by the ring over again. It just has these abilities, period. 
it's a really interesting concept for me the the idea that the emblem sits there and and ticks up and may not be actually affecting anything that's that's interesting we we have a couple of cards that help demonstrate what's going on here uh the first card that we're going to talk about is slip into on the ring for one and a white it's an instant and it has the following text exile target creature you own then return it to the battlefield under your control the ring tempts you uh ring bearer for the purposes of the game is a designation that the creature gains so the game can reference it Uh, other examples of designations in the game would include being monarch and your commander it's not a subtype the creature gains, so it doesn't appear on the type line. It's not a, it doesn't mean that it's copyable, I believe, right? Um, you can never have more than one ring bearer, and if your ring bearer stops being controlled by you, it stops being a ring bearer. We also have a, another card here, uh, Frodo Baggins, for green and a white, legendary creature, halfling scout, 1-3. Whenever Frodo Baggins or another legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, the ring tempts you. And as long as Frodo is your ring bearer, it must be blocked if able. And it's the one ring. You can only have one at a time and your opponent can have a one ring too. Once you max <laughs> out, yes, your your opponent can have a ring too. <laughs> Quiet, Brian. <laughs> once you max, once you max I mean, out That was me, actually. <laughs> that, oh, that was, <laughs> once you max out your ring, it doesn't gain more levels, but you do get to pick more ring bearers, as, as has already been stated. So two rings to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. Or three. Or four. You know, what you do in your playgroups is between you and your Sauron. Yeah. Seems all legit. Right. So after you've amassed a bunch of rings at your commander table, because this is mm-hmm. a commander mechanic. I mean, it'll probably get some play, but you're going to want to amass some orcs. Um, so the me- the amass mechanic, last seen in War you, of the You Smoke. can have that removed, you, your mass. Oh, you, yes. You can you can have it removed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. I thought for a second I was just like, I got to do editing? What? Um, no. <laughs> so, yes, uh, you might want to amass some orcs. So last seen in War of the Sparks, amass gets a facelift now. Now it's no longer a mass in, it's now a mass creature type in. Previous amass cards will get erratas to amass zombies. Um, a mass is an ability that is supposed to represent an ever-growing horde of creatures represented by a single permanent that just keeps getting plus one, plus one counter. So we have an example card of Gothmog, Morgul Lieutenant. Uh, for three and a black, it is a legendary creature human soldier, because why not legendary creature? Because, you know, commander, whatever. Uh, three, three. You know, it is kind of silly that, like, the number of legendary cards in this set, and then the first thing the ring does is make the creature legendary. Anywho, it's legendary creature Redundancy human Redundancy department. When Gothmog, Morgul Lieutenant, enters the battlefield, amass orcs one. And then creature tokens you control have death touch. So, amass... Subtype N, or a mass orc one, now means if you don't control an army creature. Wait, I thought this was a mass orc. What are you talking about armies for? <laughs> goblins. <laughs> Just wait. We're going to get goblin <laughs> armies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's, it's, it's all flavor. It's <laughs> yeah. flavorful. It's super tasty. Yep. Go okay. on. Okay. So if you don't control an army creature, create a zero zero subtype army creature token. So in this case, a zero zero orc army creature token. Then put in, in this case one, plus one, plus one counter on an army creature you control of your choice. Okay? So, if you don't have an army, you're going to make an army. 
and then put a counter on it. And if you already have an army, then you're going to pick one or more armies. You're going to pick an army that you've got and put a counter on it. Okay. If you had a zombie army, so you're mixing and matching, you're amassing zombie armies and orc armies. If that army was not already a subtype, an orc, it gains that subtype. So if you already had a zombie army, it's going to become a orc zombie army. Or would that be an orc zombie? I think it's an orc zombie army. Remember, changelings count as an army, and therefore you can potentially have multiple armies. Hey, where does a general keep his armies? I don't know, Brian. Where does a general keep his armies? In his sleeveies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can have multiple oh, armies. Oh, dad jokes. I know, right? Um, or already, if you uh, so if you already have an army creature because you control an uh, Avon changeling or a cloned army, if you have more than one army, you're going to pick one to amass onto. So if you have no armies, amass orcs one will give you a zero zero orc army with one plus one plus one counter on it. If you already had an orc army, then that one gets a plus one plus one counter on it. And if you had a zombie army, it's now a zombie orc army with a counter with an initial counter. And when beetles battle beetles in a puddle paddle battle, and the beetle paddle puddle is a puddle in a bottle, they call this a tweedle beetle bottle puddle paddle battle muddle. I have no idea what that means, but I'm impressed. Color me impressed. Right? This is <laughs> Dr. Seuss, no? It is Dr. Seuss, yes. It's Fox and Sox. Yes. When Tweedle Beetles fight. <clears throat> that book is mind bending. Yeah. When Tweedle Beetles fight, it's called a Tweedle Beetle battle. And when they battle in puddles, it's a Tweedle Beetle puddle battle. And when Tweedle Beetles battle with paddles in a puddle, they call it a Tweedle Beetle puddle paddle battle. Anyway. This set seems to have affected you in some very negative anyway. ways, Brian. Anyway. I'm here for it, though. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't control an army, here's a, here's a note for, for uh, if you don't control an army, because you don't have any sleeveys, if you don't control an army, it'll it <laughs> enters the battlefield as a zero zero, and then it will get the counter. So any effect or trigger that cares about you know creatures with certain powers entering the battlefield or anything like that, it, it ETB'd as a zero zero. Okay, and some effects, not many, but some refer to the amassed army. And what the amassed army means is the creature chosen to receive counters, even if for some reason no counters were placed on it. Things happen. Yeah, there's like a few cards that don't let counters be placed on things. So it's fascinating. Okay. Okay, well, with these massive armies, we have to find a way to feed them all or they're not going to be very productive for us. So how do we feed a massive army? Oh, food. Food is back because, you know, hobbits. I mean, halflings. Hungry, hungry halflings. <laughs> Anyways. Not hippos? No. Not hippos. Hungry, hungry halflings in Got this it. instance. Got it. Also, I very much, of the little Lord of the Rings lore I know, I do very much enjoy A Good Hobbit because I absolutely approve of second and third breakfast because, well, whoa. breakfast is the best food, hands down, bar none. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, Not hobbits, halflings. Yes, halfling. Fun, Hobbit, funny, halfling. Funny story, D&D, &D, which is now owned by wizards, originally had hobbits in their D&D &D game but got sued, and that's why halflings were created. Yep. By themselves? Yep. No. I'm going to sue the pants off you as you point your finger at your forehead. Lord of the no, just Lord the of shoes. The, Lord of the Rings, the, the, the <laughs> Tolkien estate, sued wizards for their use of hobbits. Ah, yes. And now it's still showing up. And now halflings. Yep. Eh, time changes all. But what time does not change is my hunger. So let's talk about food. Food tokens are back. Food is an artifact subtype and will typically be on tokens. 
Except for when you have something like Lembas, which is apparently a hobbit food of some sort. This is where I show my Lord of the Rings ignorance, but there is a card here called Lembas that does count as a food. Similar to back in, I think it was Throne of Eldraine that had the Ginger Brute, which was an artifact creature food. So, food is back, ready to be gobbled up by some very hungry hobbits, it's, halflings. It's elf, it's elf, elf bread. It's elf bread. Elf bread. Is it Alfred? It's oh, Alfred. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. sitting that's here. okay. No, no, I'm going to need some school in here. Nobody's worried about it, but but Brian's no. over there twitching. I, I was. <laughs> I was. I was sitting here going like, do I do I correct or do I not correct? Do I just let it go? Do I just? But I don't know. It's okay. At me on Twitter. It's fine. <laughs> I, I won't respond or particularly care. But if you want to, by all means. And then along with uh, getting food back, and, and food has some great history in the game, um, we do have historic back as well. Um, so the way we identify cards that are historic is, is it's a card, a spell, or a permanent that has the legendary subtype. Uh, if it's an artifact card type or a saga subtype, those are also considered historic. Cards that care about when you cast historic spells won't interact with you playing a legendary land for turn. Okay. Because land. Uh, also, <laughs> type cycling is back. Type cycling, uh, an example would be generous int. Type cycling is a type of cycling. I just realized how absurd that sounds saying it out loud. Type cycling Sta- is a type Standard, of... standard? Yeah, it's standard, standard. <laughs> so an example is generous int. Generous int is five and a green for a five, seven tree folk with reach that says when generous int enters the battlefield, create a food token, ba-ba, and then has forest cycling of one. Unlike normal cycling, Type cycling doesn't draw you a card. It lets you tutor for a card of the type. Okay, so you're gonna discard. You're gonna discard generous int. Pay the cycling cost of one. The forest cycling cost, and you're gonna search your library for a forest card. Reveal it because you got to prove that it's a forest and put it in your hand. Okay, even though you didn't draw a card, you still cycled. So any effects that care about like whenever you cycle a card is gonna see you forest cycling. You know, and nobody wants to see you forest cycling in the nobody little spandex, right? In the in the little <laughs> spandex shorts, and a little lycra vest or whatever. Nobody wants to see you forest cycling. Close to shades, please. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So that's all the mechanics in the set. There are other commander mechanics like will of the council and secret council and voting. Part- and... Partner with us back too, right? <coughs> partner. Yeah. Yeah. But... And monarch. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep, Monarch's yep. back but, too. But but we don't need to worry about those. Um, nope. Mostly because, A, they're already familiar to our listeners, uh, and B, because we have to keep the show under three hours. Yeah. So we're going to move forward with card-specific notes at this and, time. And there's a lot of Commander yeah. cards, and there's always a lot oh, yeah. of Commander cards. It's oh, yeah. a never-ending deluge of Commander cards. Yeah, and we, and we do love them, and we enjoy them, but we need to worry about what people are going to be playing with this weekend yeah so um we're going to start with the card specific notes and because brian went last i think it's marcus's turn hey fantastic i can mispronounce something else i was hoping to give it to you (laughs) (laughs) you're setting me up all right everyone forgive me as i butcher anduril flame of the west it's a three generic mana for a legendary artifact equipment equipped creature gets plus three plus one Whenever equipped creature attacks, create two tapped 1-1 white spirit creature tokens with flying. If that creature is legendary, 
instead create two of those tokens that are tapped and attacking. And it has an equip cost of two. So here, if the equipped creature is legendary, the controller of Anduril gets to decide which player or planeswalker or battle the tokens are attacking. However, if the controller of Anduril is not an attacking player, the tokens are just put on the battlefield and aren't attacking. Because Commander can make you do some crazy things. It's always Commander's fault, isn't it? Yeah. Ne never, always Commander's ne never, fault. Never Modern's fault, just, just Commander. <clears throat> Modern is a lovely, sensible format. It is it is the king of all formats, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, boy. I know somebody that would want to have an argument with you about the king of all formats. Um, but we'll just... Bring it. <laughs> it's Bud Light. Hey, Bud Light, hey, right? hey, Clues, do you still listen to the show? Anyway. Um, <laughs> I, the next card is Arwen, Mortal Queen. For one, a green and a white. Legendary creature, Elf Noble, is a 2-2. Arwen, Mortal Kreen, enters the battlefield with an indestructible counter on it. For one, and removing an indestructible counter from Arwen, you can activate the ability. Another target creature gains indestructible until end of turn. Put a plus one, plus one counter and a lifelink counter on that creature and a plus one, plus one counter and a lifelink counter on Arwen. So what's important to note here is removing the indestructible counter is part of the cost. If Arwen has already taken two damage earlier in the turn, she'll demonstrate her mortality. Get it? Eesh. Get it? Mortal Queen? Mort Never mind. Gah. Uh, if, if the target for the second ability is legal when it tries to resolve, the whole ability is countered. Uh, is illegal, right? I said that. Okay. Yes. Illegal. Yeah. All right. All right. So the next up, we're going to talk about the Balrog Durin's Bane. For five red and a black, it is a 7-5 legendary creature avatar demon that says this permanent costs one less to cast for each permanent sacrifice this turn. Okay, before we go on, that's, that's not permanence you sacrifice, that's permanent sacrifice. So someone else pops a treasure, or if you play something to make someone's, you know, opponent sacrifice a creature, counts. It's got haste. And says, uh, the Balrog, Durin's Bane, can't be blocked except by legendary creatures. And when the Balrog dies, destroy target artifact or creature and opponent controls. So just whip that around Gandalf's leg and yank him off the bridge. <laughs> All right. So I understood that reference. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a note about casting spells, because this says this spell costs one less to cast for each permanent sacrifice this turn. Normally, when we talk about casting spells, there is a uh, you lock in the total cost of the spell, and then you have a chance to activate mana ability. Okay, treasure often gets sacrificed. Okay, you want to sacrifice the treasures to add mana to your mana pool before you start casting the Balrog Durin's Bane, because if you activate them during casting. The co the total cost of the spell has been set before you get to tap sack the treasures during casting the spell. Okay, not entirely optimal. Right. So this is this not is that, just not that we're here to provide strategic advice. Just um, yes. Just <laughs> just saying, <laughs> sack your treasures, sack your treasures, then cast Balrog as opposed to I'm gonna cast Balrog following the steps of casting a spell, blah, blah, blah. Then I'm going to activate my treasures because you, you, you'll be sac sad. 
Yeah. You get the treasures count. You're going to have a bad time. Right. Anywho. Oh, I wanted to do the next card. Yeah. No, you're doing the next one. We're okay. just going to just, right. we're just going to just go for go it. For we'll it. get a twofer. Okay. Yep. Sorry. So the next card is, <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was a little hoarse there. Uh, the next card <laughs> is build a pony. <laughs> oh, oh that was good. Thank you. <laughs> Three and a white. It's a one, four legendary creature horse. When Bill the Legitimately made me horse there, Brian. Well done. <laughs> when Bill the Pony enters the battlefield, create two food tokens. And this heckin' chonker lets you sacrifice a food, and until end of turn, target creature you control assigns butt damage. Okay, Assign, uh, assigns <laughs> combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. All right. This is not a power and toughness switching ability. Uh, if you try to make Bill the Pony fight, you're going to be using his his front damage instead of his butt damage. <laughs> All right. Things that care about power and toughness use the real values. It's only when they do combat damage, he just like turns around and whips you with his, with his tail. What would ever give you the idea that we would decide to just use the toughness as the power? That would be such a weird representation of that. I don't know. But so I, I had this dog. Okay, a little Yorkie that he he tussle with the cat, but the dog had like long hair, and what he what he realized was is when he tried to play with the cat up front, the cat would paw him in the face, and the cat had claws, and he didn't like that. <laughs> so what he would do is he would back into the cat, he'd like <laughs> bump into the cat, and then when the cat went to like sink its claws into the back and get in the dog's fur he'd then whip around real quick and try and snap at her that's hilarious because my dachshund used to do that as well yeah. uh he wasn't a long-haired but he would use his butt as an attack weapon just turn around and bark at you from behind while kind of whipping you with his butt so uh this is apparently a legitimate strategy yeah, this is, this is now funny represented this is in funny. modern my dog uses her butt as an attack weapon but not the same way <laughs> oh <laughs> Go ahead. I Next got one. you. All Next right. card. All right. Next up, Boromir, Warden of the Tower. For two and a white, this is a legendary creature, human soldier, that is a 3-3. Three, three. With vigilance, and whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. And then you have the activated ability, sacrifice Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. The ring tempts you. That pesky ring again. Now here, of note, alternate costs that include mana like flashback won't cause Boromir to trigger. Similarly, if the opponent controls something like uh, Thalia, Guardian of Thraven, and I were to cast an Ornithopter into it, or as an Amulet Titan player, I cast a Summoning Pact into a uh, Summoner's Pact into it. Having to pay the extra one will protect me from their Boromir because at that point I am paying mana to help cast the spell as part of that additional cost. Got him. Sounds good. Sounds good. I keep reading this name for this next card, and I just want to say Butterbeer. And I, you know, every time, every time. And it's even got beer in the picture. I just, I just want to. So this next card is Butterbur, Bree, Innkeeper. For two, a green and a white, legendary creature, human peasant. It's a 3 3. And has the following text at the beginning of your end step. If you don't control a food, create a food token with the helpful reminder text of what our food token is. So 
Um, every rule set, we try and tick certain boxes and make sure we get things in there. Uh, in this case, Marcus pointed this one out that we needed to have it because it has that wonderful little intervening if. Um, so triggers always start with when, whenever, at, of course, and then the trigger event. But when we see the secondary clause that starts with the word if, um, that is in between when the, the trigger word and what the trigger event does, um, we check for that trigger event to be true when the trigger event happens. And again, at resolution. If it's not true at either point because something's changed, uh, the trigger doesn't happen at all or doesn't do anything. It's a very needy trigger. Trigger. Delightful. <laughs> all right. It is delightful. So the next card. Very. Delighted half is a green mana for a 1-2 halfling citizen that taps for a colorless. Or you can tap it to add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast legendary spells, that spell can't be... All right. If you spend mana from Delighted Halfling and cast a legendary spell and then copy that spell, that copy can still be countered. Why? Because you didn't you didn't spend the mana on it. That, that the fact that it can't be co- the, the fact that your legendary spell can't be countered is not a copyable characteristic. Okay. So now one other thing that I'm going to talk about. Let's say I have a legendary creature that's two and a white. You know, or two green and a white, or two and a white, or three and a white. Or I'm just scrolling. All these creatures are legendary. So you just cast a random creature from this set. <laughs> Odds are it's going to be legendary. Okay. And so you tap, you tap your forest, you tap a plane, you tap a forest, and you tap a delighted halfling. Did you just tap your delighted halfling for one mana of any color? Like you didn't announce it. You just tapped your forest, tapped your plane, you know, tap three lands, tap delighted halfling. Is that depends on if you call out uh, when they try to counter it that oh no that's not well, that's not counterable friend. So here's the thing: there is another similar card to this called Cavern of Souls. Okay, and. Cavern of Souls, for those that don't remember, uh, you choose a creature. It's a land. Choose a creature type when it enters the battlefield. You can tap to add a colorless or tap to add one mana of any color. Spend that mana only to cast a creature spell of the chosen type, and that spell can't be countered. Okay. Where this gets into, into problems is it often doesn't matter when you tap a creature for mana, whether it you're tapping it for white or blue or doesn't matter, colorless, that kind of thing. So... The ruling on that card, and this is a specific ruling on Cavern of Souls, which is if you are casting a creature of the chosen type, you chose the second ability to add one mana of any color. You did not; It did not default to the first ability. Okay, This is one of the few times in Magic where there is an air quotes default, and I'm, I believe that the same ruling will hold with Delighted Halfling as well. Okay, so if you tap Delighted Halfling to pay for a legendary spell... It is going to be uncount. The 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 working premise is you tapped it to make the thing un un uh, uncounterable. Now you, as the opponent, don't get to just assume that because they <clears throat> said they didn't say anything that they tapped it for colorless mana. Okay. If you need to clarify which ability did you use, and you don't want to because well, if I ask them to clarify, then they're gonna say they used the second ability. Duh. It's like. Yeah, hmm. yeah. This that, this falls like this, that makes sense. This falls under the whole gotcha category of the rules. You know, there don't don't do that. There isn't a gotcha out there, um, yeah. it, especially in this regard. Concept. It's 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 the default. The default is is that the player wants it to do the thing that there that is optimal. The optimal line of play. 
So well, it, don't 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 it's, think that it's, it's, it's otherwise. Not, well, here, here's the unless thing. they unless they vocal vocally choose the other thing. We generally say we, it's you don't want to make an assumption, but in this particular case with the Cavern of Souls, R and D actually said we want the card to work this way. Right. Okay. So we're not we're not making an assumption. There is actually word from on high on how Cavern of Souls is supposed to work. But if you are in a particular situation where you need to know whether your opponent did it way one or way two, and you need to know, but you're afraid that if you ask and call attention to it, they're gonna pick the way that's <laughs> optimal for them, then that's then either you gotta assume that's the way. Then either you gotta assume that they did the thing that's optimal for them or ask. And you don't get to say like, but if I ask, then then I can't I can't trick them into, or I can't get them. No, none of that. That's uh, we're not in the mood for that kind of you know display of power. Speaking of displays of power, <laughs> we have display of power for one and red red. It is an instant that says this spell can't be copied. Copy any number of target instant and or sorcery spells. You may choose new targets for the copies. Okay, this spell can't be copied. Needs a little clarification here. So this spell can't be copied. That ability only functions while this spell is on the stack. It can still be copied from exile or the graveyard or any other zone. Ultimately, think of Mizzix's Mastery or something like that. Totally works with this. Now, if you copy multiple spells with Display of Power... You can put the copies on the stack in any order. Copies of the spells... How many times am I going to say copy here? Copies of the spells will have the same targets unless you choose new ones. You can change any number of targets, but specifically you do not get to re-choose any modes that have been chosen for those spells. And copy spells like this and timing, you can't cast a spell, see if your opponent responds... And then when they don't, oh, I'm also going to cast Display of Power here. You can't, back to the whole not a gotcha game here, you have to cast this spell while holding priority and after casting another spell. So let's say I'm going to cast my Summoner's Pact because I'm my Amulet Titan player, but I want two of them. So I'm going to cast Summoner's Pact and then say, okay, I'm going to hold priority and now I'm going to cast my Display of Power to copy that spell on the stack. I don't get to find out what my opponent would have done because at that point, if they pass priority and say, oh, I'm not doing anything, well, then that spell's resolving and you don't have a chance to copy anything because, well, it's done and gone and off the stack. The, the rules specifically, the comprehensive rules say when you cast a spell, you immediately get priority after you cast the spell. That is a true fact that the comprehensive rules say. Okay. <laughs> technically, yes. That and technically correct is the best kind of correct. Uh, how, however, absolutely is. However, <laughs> there is a. Ter- that's not how people play. Okay. There is a tournament no. shortcut that says when you cast a spell, uh, if you do not explicitly hold priority, then you are passing priority to your opponent. So if you cast display of power and then wait for your opponent to do something, and then they don't. You've passed priority, they've You're passed done. priority, display of power resolves. Understanding how that exactly. works is going to be really important long term because I foresee this as being in many a commander deck. Um Oh yeah. It, it's it's just it's just the kind of card that leads to great stories. And then I cast display of power. 
you know, and, and the whole stack was messed up. I, I just see it happening. So please make sure you understand how that part of this works. Absolutely. Yeah. You never want to play the technically correct game of magic because that's miserable. Try it once. You'll never try it again. It, it is straight up. If you are playing against someone who is being a rules lawyer, I, I, uh, and I've, I've told this story before, but James Bennett told a story <laughs> one time of him getting rules lawyered and then deciding, all right, we're going to play the technically precise game of magic. And I heard that story and I remembered <laughs> it when I started to get rules lawyered at a, at a tournament. I was like, all right, we're clicking it. We're, we're kicking into pedantry mode. And it was, <sighs> it was almost more punishment for me. Yeah, nobody wins right. in that. You just everybody goes down together. Right. It's like playing Judge's Tower. Nobody wins. Nobody nobody <laughs> actually enjoys Judge's Tower. It's just kind of like this collective delusion. It's like it's like playing Dark Souls. It's just you've been you've been beaten on and you just yeah. It's Oh, that's an incredible analogy. Just, the Dark Souls of magic is Judge's right. Tower. It's just you die constantly and then you just like <laughs> bond over the fact that you have this shared misery, miserable experience. Hey, Brian. Oh, yeah. Brian, I was out after Brian, that second Brian, turn. Stay on target. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let's go to the next one. Let's let's sing about the next. Let's, uh, let's, 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 sing it. let's sing it. Let's sing about the next card. You know, uh, Elven Chorus for three and a green. Uh, it's an enchantment, and it has the following rules text. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. That's a popular line for green cards. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. Creatures you control have tap, add one mana of any color, which is just wonderful. All that good green ramp going on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, reminder here, you can look at the top card any kind, at any time, but there's an exception the ability does not use the stack. If the top card of your library changes while you're casting a spell, playing a land, activating ability, you cannot look at the new top card until you're done casting the spell, playing a land, or activating an ability. Uh, the timing of casting a creature spell also does not change you, unless the creature has... Let me see. I'm just reading, rereading the card. Make sure I'm right. If the creature has <coughs> flash, I would imagine that you're able yes. to flash the creature in. Um, but aside from that, it has to be played during one of your main phases. So the phrase, in response, I look at the top of my library, is not something that a player should be saying every three seconds? Oh, please no. No. Uh, also, the top, just a, a point, the top card of your library isn't actually in your hand, so you can't discard from the top of your library. You can't you can't type forest cycle from the top of your library, anything like that. Right. True. All right. Next up is Yomer, Marshal of Rohan. For two red, red, we've got a 4 4 legendary creature, human knight. Man, are they all actually. Like, I was making a joke <laughs> about them being legendary. No, no, no. The delighted the, halfling wasn't. Legendary, legendary okay. and one ability are yeah. all over the place. All right. It's 4 4 with haste. It says, whenever one or more other attacking legendary creatures you control die untap all creatures you control after this phase there is an additional legend uh, there's an additional legendary there's an additional combat phase this ability <laughs> triggers only once per turn okay um if yomer and another legendary creature die at the same time like from combat damage yomer's still going to trigger also a thing to remember is after combat after combat damage there is the end of combat step in which creatures are still 
attacking creatures even though they've already done damage like so before you go into the second main phase if one of your legendary creatures dies during that post combat damage step after this phase there's going to be an additional combat phase so we're not going to have another main phase and then another combat we're just going to go straight into combat like the eighth rule of fight club I'm just going to let talking that about go. Fight Club there. I'm what? just going to let that go. Right. Can I call him Gomer? Can I call this guy Gomer Marshall of Rohan? I just, I just <laughs> as sorry. in Gomer, as in Gomer Pyle. Well, golly, well, golly shucks, we're dating ourselves with that reference. <laughs> All right, Sam. Yes. <laughs> and next up, we have Fangorn Tree Shepherd. For four green, 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 we have a legendary creature, Tree Folk, which is a 4-10. Tree Folk you control have Vigilance. Whenever one or more Tree Folk you control attack, add twice that much green mana. You don't lose unspent green mana as steps and phases end. So, as long as Fangorn is on the battlefield, you can keep green mana in your mana pool forever. Other mana will behave as normal and drain from your mana pool as you move between steps and phases. Now, if any of the green mana that is just floating in your mana pool for eight turns or so has any restrictions or riders attached to it, for example, like our Delighted Halfling, giving us that, let's say, green mana to cast a legendary creature spell, and making it unaccounterable, those restrictions and riders will apply when you try to spend the mana. Now, whenever Fanghorn leaves the battlefield, you are going to lose that green mana as normal. So use it or lose it before you move on to the next phase. Wow. Yeah. So should we forge ahead? Yes. Forge ahead. Forge ahead. So forge anew for two and a white is an enchantment. Uh, when forge anew enters the battlefield, return target equipment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. As long as it's your turn, you may activate equip abilities anytime you could cast an instant. You may pay zero rather than pay the equip cost of the first equip ability you activate during each of your turns. So just a reminder, you know, it's important to remember these things. Reconfigure and equip are actually different abilities. So you can't reconfigure at instant speed or pay zero to reconfigure. This is only in regards to equip costs. What? That would be so much better. I know it would be better, but it doesn't mean that it's true. Hammer time players are going to be sad. Oh, yeah. I'm shedding a tear. Not really. That's the, nah, the bane of my existence. Yes. Speaking of that, <laughs> Frodo is Sauron's bane. For a single white, you get a 1-2 legendary creature halfling citizen. That's that's so <laughs> depressing. Like, a legendary citizen. What? Okay. So, for uh, a white-black, for or two Orzhov hybrid mana, uh, if Frodo, Sauron's Bane, is a citizen, it becomes a halfling scout with base power and toughness 2-3 and lifelink. All right. Uh, and for black, 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 if Frodo is a scout, it becomes a halfling rogue with, quote, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game if the ring has tempted you four or more times this game. Otherwise, the ring tempts you, end quote. All right. Whew. Two things of note. Uh, these are uh, a few things to note. These abilities don't have a duration. Okay, so if you activate the first one, and if Frodo Sauron's Bane is a citizen, it becomes a halfling scout with base power and toughness 2-3 and has lifelink. That just goes on for forever. And it's no longer a citizen. Okay, 
So you can activate that. It's a halfling scout now. So you can activate that ability again and again and again. And it's not going to do anything, okay? Because it's just the wrong type. The second ability checks to see if Frodo is a scout. So obviously, if you activate the first ability, it goes from being a halfling citizen to a halfling scout, okay? And so the second ability sees that it's a scout. But you don't have to become a scout using that first ability. You can become a scout some other way, all right? Now, noting what's in quotes of that second ability, <clears throat> that long quote, whenever this becomes a halfling rogue with, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game if the ring has tempted you with four more times this, this game. Otherwise, the ring tempts you. That's all one ability, okay? The otherwise the ring tempts you applies to the... Um, uh, the, the opponent loses the game clause and not the if Frodo is a scout bit. All right. Now there is, what's the, what's the blue card that's kind of set up similar to this in, in terms of like a, a, a it's like a spirit um, that changes types. Oh, the call time one. Yeah. What's, what's, the... yeah, it's played in that spirits deck. I forget. Okay. Hold on. Let me see if I can find okay. it. Okay. The, the big point with that particular thing is, I think the last ability you can it's set up in such a way that you can activate it multiple times and it's going to gain multiple instances of the trigger. Okay, this activated ability is not set up um, so that it's going to gain multiple. You, you can't just activate it, activate it, activate. It. If you can make Frodo a scout again, you can activate it and it would gain a second instance of the trigger. Okay, but it's going to become a halfling rogue. Hmm. It's going to loot, which is setting it. So it's going to lose the scout bit. So if you can make it a scout again, you can activate the ability again and get another. So you would have Frodo with three instances, four instances, five instances of the trigger. But you got to do a little bit of work. You got to make Frodo a scout again between each activation. Well, if you do that, he's going to lose the game very hard. Right. Also, that card was Ascendant Spirit from Kaldheim. Ascendant Spirit. Yep. Ascendant Spirit. Now we will learn that I cannot spell ascendant. A S C E N D A N T. Yeah, the it's got three abilities that kind of tier like this. The third, the second ability makes it an angel, and then the third ability just says like, "Hey, if you're an angel, put counters on it and it gains this trigger." So you can just activate that ability multiple times, and it's going to gain multiple instances of the trigger, which might be why they worded it this particular way. But yeah, Makes sense. but yeah, you can give it multiple instances of the trigger if you just make it a scout every time. <clears throat> Is that, you got it, it's black, white, maybe a little gray, a little fuzzy. A little gray. A little gray. A little, little gray, little... A little red and blue. A little big, actually, because now we're talking about the, the big guy, the one that everybody started talking about and was terrified was going to take over Modern as soon as this set came out. We're talking Gandalf, specifically Gandalf the Gray, who is blue and red, apparently, but it's okay. Yep. Gandalf the Gray. Blue and red make For gray. three, blue and red meet gray. Yeah. For three, a blue and a red, there's a legendary creature, Avatar Wizard. That's a 3-4. And it has the text, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, choose one that hasn't been chosen. And then you can choose from four different modes. Mode number one, you may tap or untap target permanent. Mode number two, Gandalf the Grey deals three damage to each opponent. Third one is copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. And the final one is put Gandalf on top of its owner's library. Now, in this instance, the modes are chosen whenever the triggered ability goes on the stack. You can only choose a mode that requires a target if there are legal targets available. 
Like for example, if it, you're choosing the first one that says you may tap or untap target permanent, but for some reason, literally everything on the board has shroud because somebody's doing some enchantment nonsense that gives everything shroud, well then you cannot choose that mode because there is no legal target. There are no permanents that can be tapped or untapped. Now, if the ability does not resolve because it was countered or something else happens to make it not resolve, it still counts as having been chosen. All this cares about is just that you made a choice to put this mode onto the stack. Doesn't really care what happens to it afterwards. And then hasn't been chosen here only applies to this instance of Gandalf the Grey. Doesn't matter if someone else has taken control of Gandalf. So if I were to take Brian's Gandalf away from him and cast an instant or sorcery, fight. it remembers, oh yeah, you're going to fight me for that. Uh, that's okay. I'm just going to you know, put him in a Star Wars movie or something ridiculous like that because I don't respect Lord of the Rings or something. I don't know. But specifically, well, shots, uh, if shots, I were to... You just, yeah, you I know, just, shots fired. You just kind of slipped that in there. Just shots fired. <laughs> I was hoping to, to subtly slide that in no, there, no, but no. it's okay. No People are going to come as, at me after no this. There's such thing as subtly on JudgeCast. That's oh, and then, and then Gandalf the Grey is going to get in his, you know, C-wing fighter and join Gryffindor. I don't know. Exactly. Right, right. well... You, you're picking up what I'm putting yeah, down. Yeah, while battling the spice worms yes and then spider-man comes in and Whoa. saves everything hold on, hold on now hold on now let's not let's, <laughs> let's not let's not bring disney into this i don't want to get sued oh no that's right oh yeah. no, no back to back to judging yeah, okay yeah. so so let's say i have uh taken gandalf the gray and i cast an incident or sorcery spell at that point gandalf the gray remembers what brian chose for it up until then and then i can only choose a mode that has not been chosen uh, even though I only just now took control, control of Gandalf. Now, if I were to blink Gandalf, uh, exile and return to the battlefield, etc., it is a new object and therefore has no memory of what was chosen beforehand, so you can start the whole cycle all over again. Sounds great. So if Brian had chosen to do, you know, three damage to each opponent when he casts Lightning Bolt so he could do, you know, six damage, um, you can't do the same thing. With your lightning bolt. Yep. Pretty cool. Not so much. All right. So we did Gandalf the Grey, and we all know that Gandalf the Grey eventually turns into Gandalf the White, and I'm going to talk about that. Uh, Gandalf the White is uh, three and white white. It's a legendary creature, Avatar Wizard. It's a four five, so he's a little, little beefier. Uh, he has flash, and you may cast legendary spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. Ooh, shiny. Mm. And if a legendary permanent or an artifact entering or leaving the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. And that line of text has all kinds of notes about it. <laughs> but we're going to yeah. talk first about the, the second one. Have, um, have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the second ability only applies to casting spells. It doesn't change when you uh, when you can activate abilities. The last ability. The last ability. So first off, it affects permanents own enter the battlefield or leaves the battlefield, but also other permanents that watch it. So for instance, when you play a legendary land that would cause a random landfall ability to trigger, it does so twice. You don't need to control the permanent entering or leaving the battlefield. Only the permanent that has the triggered ability 
Okay, Gandalf's ability doesn't copy the triggered ability. It causes it to trigger twice. Choices such as targets and modes are made separately. All right. Also keep in mind that Wizards is printing more and more cards that do say this triggers only once a turn. Those you won't get an additional trigger. Um, Wizards has moved towards that in game design to keep uh, people from having cards that do magnificent things. It's that's, again. That's all there. That's, that's, all, that's all there is to it. It's command. It's again. <laughs> it is, it's commander. It it is. It but is, Brian, this is a modern set. It is commander. Isn't fault. this Modern Horizons three flavored as Gandalf and hobbits? No, uh, no not at all. It's, it's, it's a commander it's set. Commander, what is it? Commander Masters zero point yeah. five. Yeah. Now, for those of you out there that want to do the math on it um, and and are excited, if you only control, if you t- somehow control two Gandalf the Whites, you get three total triggers, not four. Uh, it's not a, doubling. It's no, just it's adding not, a plus it's one. It's not doubling. It's just adding. Yep. If a permanent has a trigger for when a card is put to the graveyard from anywhere, it will only trigger twice if both <laughs> Gandalf and the triggering permanent are both on the battlefield immediately after the event. So, for example, Abe controls a Gandalf the White, an Isamaro, and a a Profane Memento. And Isamaro dies, and Profane Memento will trigger twice. If Isamaro and Profane Memento go to the graveyard at the same time, you won't get Profane Memento's trigger. Make sense? Yeah, let's let's read what Profane Memento does. Yes, um, it is an it is a one mana artifact that says whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's gra- oh it says an opponent's graveyard. Let's say mm. that they so, have, so figure so figure it out again that Ned has an Isamaru. Okay, yeah. whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you gain one life. Okay, so if Isamaru goes to the goes to the graveyard, that is a legendary permanent uh, leaving the battlefield that is causing a permanent you control to trigger the profane memento. But because the Profane Memento doesn't say whenever a creature dies, it's whenever a creature card is put into the opponent's graveyard from anywhere, um, both Profane Memento and Gandalf the White still have to be on the battlefield. This is because um, leaves the battlefield trigger. So when whenever this creature goes to the graveyard, whenever this permanent goes to the graveyard, that's a, a leaves the battlefield trigger that looks back in time to see the permanent as it existed on the battlefield. Okay. When, when, but it says whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, <clears throat> that that can be from exile, that can be from the library, that can be from the hand, that can be from the battlefield. And because it's all of those places, it can't look at the permanent as it existed on the battlefield. And if the card came from your hand, you can't look at the card as it existed in the hand because that's a hidden zone, right? Or the library, hidden mm-hmm. zone. So those triggers that say whenever a creature is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, okay... The from anywhere part means the leaves the battlefield trigger looks at it as it existed in the graveyard. It doesn't it doesn't like look back in time. It looks at right as the event occurred. So a profane memento is in the graveyard at the same time as the Isamaru. Okay, then it it you can't you and you're not looking back in time. You're looking at right now. Well, profane memento is in the graveyard. Its ability is not on the battlefield. That's why there's a difference. That is, that is the best explanation of the difference between uh, leaves the battlefield or, goes, or leaves, goes to your graveyard from anywhere that I've ever heard. Because that always tripped me up in the past, but 
just that idea of like, well, you can't reference where it is if it's in a hidden zone, just like unlock that in my head. Oh, thanks. Okay. So next up is Gloin, Dwarf Emissary. <laughs> For two and a, what a name. Two and a red is a 3-3 three, three. legendary creature dwarf advisor. Whenever you cast a historic spell, create a treasure token. This ability triggers only once each turn. Hey. Then sacrifice a creature. Goad target creature. Oh yeah, goad. Okay. Oh yeah, this is a commander set. Yep. This this is indeed a commander set because goading is what? Um so a goaded creature must attack, okay? Unless it's tapped or affected by a spell or ability that says it can't attack or has summoning sickness, or if there's a cost associated with having that creature attack a player, okay? So if it's got any of those things, it, it doesn't have to attack that player. If the creature doesn't meet any of the exceptions that I just went over, it must attack a player other than the controller of the spell or ability that goaded it. Okay, so in a, in a, in a 1v1, <laughs> goading is kind of dumb. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, now, the, 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 there are strategic reasons for doing it. But yes, as a rule, it is. As, I mean, as if, a rule. If you, if you have a big, beefy blocker with death touch that can eat up your opponent's creature's Goat them all. Goat them yeah. all day long. Yeah, goading. Goading basically says you have to attack. Okay, and if you have a planeswalker, you can send that creature to uh, uh, to that planeswalker. Okay. Uh, where where was I? Okay, so if the creature can't attack any of those players, but could still attack, it must attack a planeswalker an opponent controls, or a battle an opponent controls, or the player that goaded it. So basically, if in a multiplayer game, if you can't attack a player, so I goad Charles's Isamaru. Okay, and for whatever reason, if he's going to um, he's going to attack Marcos, he's got to pay mana. Nothing's forcing he, no. So that suddenly frees him up to attack anybody's planeswalkers, anybody's battle, or me. Okay, being goaded is not an ability; it's just a designation. Okay, I, okay. The, the, so things that refer to the goaded creature. Also, attacking doesn't use up the goad. So if, for whatever reason, if you have multiple combat phases, it's got to keep on attacking. You've got to goad for the throat. I don't know. So you just said goad a lot. Was that goad or gold? Like Goldberry, River Daughter, which is our next card. I'm reaching here. No, that was was a very good train. That was a solid transition for Judge Cast. I I appreciate it. It was well done. Right on, right on. So, now that we've ruined the illusion of that transition, let's talk about Goldberry, River Daughter. For one and a blue, this is a legendary creature nymph that is a 1-3. It has the ability tap, move a counter of each kind, not on Goldberry, River Daughter, from another target permanent you control onto Goldberry. And then it has a second ability of blue and tap, move one or more counters from Goldberry onto another target permanent you control. If you do, draw a card. So let's talk about this moving a counter business. Moving a counter is really removing a counter from a permanent and placing a counter on a permanent, not actually picking up and moving that counter over. So things that care about counters being removed or put on a permanent will apply. Now, because this is still a new card type, I'm going to remind everybody that battle cards that have the siege subtype have the intrinsic ability, quote, 
when the last defense counter is removed from this permanent, exile it, then cast it transformed without paying its mana cost. So pretty sweet interaction there. Now this can also move counters around to places where they never really intended to end up or that wizards didn't necessarily think, oh yeah, let's put this kind of counter on this type of permanent. So for example, you might move a lifelink counter that we discussed earlier onto a random enchantment that you control that does damage to players. And that enchantment now has lifelink. So ultimately, things may get a little weird here, but that's part of the fun. Play with it, it just adds those abilities and go forth and do crazy things. See what all you can put a polyp counter on. <laughs> so the next card, uh, I've got no clever transition. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I I was left holding the bag here. Um, the the next card is Gorbag <laughs> of Minas Morgul for one and a black. Pause for that one. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, legendary creature or soldier, legendary of course, because that's the theme. That's a two-two. Whenever a goblin or orc you control deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it. When you do, choose one. Either draw a card or create a treasure token. Now, we talked about themes in this set. There are legendary creatures. You know, we've got hobbits or, or halflings. But there's also a really, really cool little mini sub theme happening here. And I want wizards to know that we found it. This set has eight as far as I know, it's eight different cards with reflexive triggers on it. And this is one of them. This is a neat reflexive trigger because we also get modes with it. Um, so what's important here is you don't choose the modes when the goblin or the orc deals combat damage. You only choose the mode if you sacrifice a creature that meets the conditions of the trigger. Each player can respond to the triggered ability as normal. So, hey, cool. Reflexive triggers. There are eight different ones in the set. I think we only talk about one tonight. Go find the other ones. Yeah, and and so this is this is a card that I think the only reason they made this a reflexive trigger is for online. Yeah, okay. that's 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 a reasonable assumption there. Yeah, because it doesn't target or anything like that. So realistically, drawing a card or creating a treasure a, a, a token, there's no reason to not do it other than you would have to make the choice when you put it on the stack, which is before you would sacrifice a goblin or orc, like before you would know. But in online, mm-hmm. like having to actually make that choice is and not sacrificing a goblin or orc is kind of dumb. Yeah. And I haven't looked at the other cards in depth as to why they may have chosen to do reflexive triggers on them. Um, and I call it a mini sub theme. I don't know if it was actually intentional or not. But I think the idea of having some type of a um, mechanic that you only generally only see one or two of in a set ha- have as many as the set does. I think it's kind of cool. Next up is Horn of Mark. Mark's Horn. No, it's Horn, <laughs> horn of the Mark. It is two mana for a legendary artifact. It says whenever two or more creatures you control <laughs> attack a player. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of the library in a random order. Okay, so there's two conditions you need to be aware of here. The, the first sentence it says, whenever two or more creatures you control attack a player. So two or more creatures you control must be attacking a player. Attacking a battle or a planeswalker doesn't count. And if you're in a multiplayer game, 
and you are having two or more creatures attack multiple players, so two to you and two to you and two to you, you're going to get multiple multiple Horn of the Mark trigger. Uh, this also applies to another card called uh, Landroal Horizon Witness, which is four and a white for a 3-4 legendary creature, uh, Bird Noble, <laughs> which is flying and says whenever two or more creatures you control attack a player, target attacking creature without flying gains flying until end of turn. Same deal. Same clause. Same legendary. Yeah, that's two legendary creatures in the same batch. That's two strikes. You're almost out. Pretty fateful. Yeah. Speaking of, Isildur's Fateful Strike. Another name for me to mispronounce, possibly. I think Isildur looks right there. Isildur's Fateful Strike. Sounds good. Yep. So this is two black black for a legendary instant that says, destroy target creature if its controller has more than four cards in hand. They exile cards from their hand equal to the difference. So, first of all, aside from me hearing online that this is a super flavor win, yes. this is also the return of Legendary as a super type on instants and sorceries. Or on a single instant in the whole set. But it's back! So... Legendary instants and sorceries have a casting restriction, which cares about whether you control either a legendary creature or legendary planeswalker when you go to cast this spell. As we've alluded to, you probably do. It's Lord of the Rings. However, this spell does not care about any other legendary permanent types like lands, enchantments, or artifacts, or how legendary the story moment that's being told on the card is, or how flavorful the card is to the story even though it's really cool, I hear. That, that was just masterful. I, I am I am just blown away. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Legolas, Master Archer for one and two green. Uh, it's a 1-4 legendary creature elf archer with reach, because if it didn't have reach, we'd have a discussion about that. Mm-hmm. Whenever you cast a spell that targets Legolas Master Archer, put a plus one, plus one counter on Legolas. Whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you don't control, Legolas deals damage equal to its power to up to one target creature. So the plus one plus one ability resolves before the spell casting it resolves. It's the stack, kids. Go ask your parents. This means (laughs) that if you cast a spell that targets Legolas so he fights something, it'll get the counter before the fight happens. Right? Right. Important service note. Uh, The second ability will trigger even if there are multiple targets. So long as at least one of those targets is a creature you don't control, think target player or planeswalker or battle or other potential targets, it only triggers once per spell. And if you cast a spell that targets multiple targets and satisfies both trigger conditions, think like a a fight or a punch, for instance, um, then both triggers will go on the stack. The controller of Legos chooses the order of the triggers. Sounds great. I cannot wait to play this card. Sounds pretty sweet. It is. All right. Next up is Maneldor, Swift Savior. For three and a blue, we have a 3-3 three, three legendary creature, Bird Soldier. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I, I find myself wanting to say legendary creature, Bird, like the same way the professor goes like Manny Magic the Gathering, and it's great. And I'm starting to... <laughs> Like, I'm starting to hate myself for it. Um, anyway, I, I hear it now. Anyway, it's a flying bird. Because birds, they fly, generally speaking. 
no hate. Sorry there, Penguin. Um, it's 3-3 three, three Flyer. Whenever uh, Maneldor Swift Savior deals combat damage to a player, exile up to one target creature you own, then return it to the battlefield under your control. I'm going to call out the only real thing here is it exiles target creature you own. The opponent can control it so you can take it back because it puts it back into the battlefield under your control. Okay. However, if you target an ex- uh, target a token or a token, um, it's going to stay in exile. So as we talked about earlier, we will maybe throw in some strategic advice here. I'm going to give you some really mediocre strategy notes. Marcos's mediocre strategies. <laughs> this card is sick with a card like Humble Defector. I don't know why that popped in my head, but I always loved Humble Defector and always wanted to get it back after I drew some cards. And hey, Wombo Combo, let's do it. Isn't New Modern Deck. Isn't there... Okay, this is going to be a commander thing. Isn't there a gem or something that, like, when you gain control of it, you draw three cards and it taps for mana? But you, but when you, I don't but recall when you that. use it, you have to give it to your opponent? Oh, you're thinking Wishclaw Talisman? Oh, you know, this is... Or is it Coveted Jewel? Coveted Jewel, but that's this says Target Creature, not not Crazy Artifact. So, never mind. Yep, yep. Never mind. No, this was designed strictly to pair up with Humble Defector. I'm convinced. I got no transition on this one. Let's go straight into <laughs> the word Nazgul. Nazgul is a creature Wraith Knight for two and a black. It is a one-two with Death Touch. And when Nazgul enters the battlefield... The ring tempts you. Whenever the ring tempts you, put a plus one, plus one counter on each wraith you control. A deck can have up to nine cards named Nazgul. Love these. Now, because this did get attention on Twitter, due to a theoretical hypothetical that is ultimately never going to happen, but hey, this is JudgeCast, we're going to talk about things that will only happen every now and then, We're going to cover one ruling on this card. One. You can thank us later for going deep and getting you the answers. In limited formats, if you open or draft 10 or more Nazgul cards, your deck may only contain nine of them. It's like those seven dwarves. You get seven dwarves. Here you get nine Nazgul. Period. Done. Move on. That's pretty Nazgul you got there. Um... There's also nine different arts for these cards. Yeah, I noticed that the other day in the oh, set. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, there are nine different arts. You've got to, it's like, got to catch them oh, all. Oh, that's amazing, you actually. Catch them all. I love that. <laughs> I, I would ask my opponent to concede if I could show them nine different art variations of Nazgul Unlimited. Like, look, I did it. Like, I won something here. Will you just, like, please? And then see what happens. Not only did I get nine versions of the uncommon card, I got nine different versions. Just... Yeah, yeah, throw in the towel. Super win. We got it. Or just don't throw it into the volcano. Speaking of which, the one mm-hmm. ring for four is a legendary artifact. It's indestructible. When the one ring enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each bird encounter on the one ring. Tap. Tap as an activated ability, put a bird encounter on the one ring, then draw a card for each bird encounter on the one ring. <clears throat> now, uh, in this case, protection from everything, which is an interesting statement, it really means three things. That all damage to the player is prevented, auras can't be attached to the player, 
and the player cannot be the target of spells or abilities. An opponent, uh, yeah, cannot be a target of spells or abilities. Um, effects or spells that don't target you directly still affect you. So if a spell tells all players to discard two cards, you would discard two cards. Creatures can attack you. They just don't do damage. Um, it's it's the old saying where, you know, that, you know, they, they can they can attack. They just, they just can't hurt you. Um, if an effect keeps damage from being prevented, then that damage would still reduce your life total <laughs> as normal. And as a last advisory, don't throw this into a volcano. Active volcanoes are dangerous places. Um, look, seriously, out there there's this one, one ring. There's a serialized 001001 version of the one ring in a pack somewhere out there in the world. If you're the person that is lucky enough to open it, and I hope somebody out there does and realizes what it is, um, please recognize that it is extremely valuable. Um, don't throw it into a volcano. Uh, even for the memes, because it's at this point, it's worth over $2 million, at least. At, at least do like a GoFundMe. Possibly. At least do a GoFundMe for like 1.5 yeah. mil. Yeah. And then throw yeah. it in a volcano. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and seriously, if you do own it, if you do get it, and you do decide to sell it and make a make a quick buck on it, and, and I hope you do, consider maybe giving a little bit to charity. But that's, you know, from me to you. Okay. That's it. That's all I got on the One Ring. I'm glad you got to read that because uh, I know you've been on a crusade to make sure that this has uh, that that one of one is handled with the appropriate care that something that valuable will be. Hey, it's life altering money and people should be aware yes. of that. I don't want it to be opened by a business or a bo- like a online box cracker type. I, sure. I want, it, I want it to be someone at a LGS who just like, you know, you know, they only had like twenty five, thirty dollars to spend and they just bought one on a whim. You know, I want right. it to be like Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. You want a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I want a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I don't want a Veruca Salt or a Mike TV or any of those folks. Anyway. Good luck, everybody. Yep. Except the businesses. <laughs> Screw you guys. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Palantir of Orthonk. Actually, I'm I'm actually going to buy... I normally don't buy collector boosters. I'm going to buy one because buying one increases my odds of opening one so much more than any other purchase uh, I could make. Like, I go from zero to Valid. A, a, a non-zero chance. It's like infinitely increasing my probability. Anyway, Palantir... And Wizards is happy. Yes. No. Well, no, you just kind of took some of the fun out of it. <laughs> no, no, no! Don't let me yuck your no, yum. It's fun. No, Enjoy you, it. You, you done yucked it all up, man. It's, it's all. It's, there's no yum left. Uh, oh, there's plenty of yum, there's... Um, yum left for you. No, okay. Like the palantir of Orthanc. That looks yummy. Yeah, it looks like an icy manipulator, is what it looks like. A palantir of Orthanc, Orthanc, which is three mana for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your instep, put an influence counter on Palantir of Orthanc and Scry 2. Then target opponent may have you draw a card. If that player doesn't, you mill X cards, where X is the number of influence counters on Palantir of Orthanc, and that player loses life equal to the total mana value. That's a big old wall of text. And notice that word target hidden there right in the middle? It's not a reflexive trigger. When this trigger goes on the stack, 
you're choosing target opponent and if they somehow give themselves shroud the whole ability there's no putting an influence counter there's no scry at two you know obviously there's no drawing a card but there's no milling or no nothing none of it so there you go nice Sticking with the theme of random objects being held by people's hands, we now come to the File of Galadriel. This is three mana for a legendary artifact. If you would draw a card while you have no cards in hand, draw two cards instead. If you would gain life while you have five or less life, you gain twice that much life instead. And it also has tap add one mana of any color. Pretty sweet mana rock. Now here... Let's talk about drawing a card and effects that would change how you draw a card. If two or more replacement effects would apply to any time you draw a card, the player drawing the card chooses the order to apply them. Like if you have an abundance out, you can choose to apply files replacement effect first and then abundance. Now drawing cards, the act of actually drawing your cards happens one at a time. So if you cast a brainstorm and draw three cards, when your hand is empty, the first draw will be replaced with two cards. And then the second and third draws will see that your hand isn't empty because, well, you just drew the two cards, so it wouldn't apply. Now, this is also how to figure out what happens if you somehow have two files in play because everybody loves cloning legendary things to have two of them. So in that instance, you would draw a card. The first file will replace with draw two cards and then the second file will see you drawing a card and drawing a card because that replacement of drawing two cards is actually telling you draw a card, then draw a card. And then we'll go to replace the first one of those, making that two. Then when you go to draw the second card, your hand is no longer empty and you proceed as such. And, now, and if you're still listening... <laughs> it's a lot of draw. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of like... As you're reading that, and I'm reading what I wrote, it's like, you draw the second card, and then when you go to draw the second second card, the actual second card, not the not the second <laughs> card from the replacement, but the original second, which is now the third. Yeah. yeah, yep. Yeah, just note how many replacement effects you have, as long as you have the empty hand. And then as you would go to draw a card, just like push forward that one file that you've applied the replacement effect for. And then try to go draw a card again. And, oh, I have another one. Push that one forward and then keep count. And you'll have a whole bunch of cards. It's going to be a grand old time. It basically basically equates to if your hand is empty, each file gives you plus one. Exactly. Nice shorthand. Now, speaking of two files, what about the life gain effect on here? Now, this is going to be different than the card draw. And that's because each card draw is treated as a separate action when you're instructed to draw more than one card. The shorthand of just draw five cards is draw a card, draw a card five times. But with life gain, that's not the case. If you have two files, you are gaining four times the amount of life. And a special bonus, remember that whenever you're setting your life total, what setting a life total means is you gain X amount of life to bring you to that set life total, meaning you'll set your life total to more than you expected. So if you're setting your life total to 10 and you're at three life, you're saying, I'm going to gain seven life. This will double that. Meaning, instead of setting your life total by increasing it by those seven to get to 10, you're actually going to end up at 17 because you gained seven life twice. Twice as much. Bonus life. All the life. We, we love all the life. Clear as mud. All the life. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. 
So in keeping with the theme of characters holding things in their hands, because this is the third art in a row where they do that, <laughs> we have Press the Enemy for two blue for two and two blue. It's an instant. And it reads return target spell or non-land permanent and opponent controls to its owner's hand. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with equal or lesser mana value from your hand without paying its mana cost. Okay, a couple of really important notes here. First off, spell return to its owner's hand did not resolve. It also wasn't countered. Rather, the game treats it more as something that never existed in the first place. Okay? So that means that Press the Enemy works against uncounterable spells. Remember that discussion we had earlier about Delighted Halfling and their cast and, and, and using it to cast an uncountable spell? This can be countered. Or it's not countering, it just didn't exist. Same with Cavernous Souls. It, it'll prevent that from happening, okay? If the spell being returned had an X as part of or as the whole mana cost, Press the Enemy looks at X and knows what it was uh, at the time it was being cast for determining mana value of the spell targeted. So if you have some effect that has uh, uh, X red red and the opponent chose to uh, pay 5 for X, so the mana value at the time that it's on the stack is 7, press the enemy actually sees that. Um, so for figuring out the second part of its effect, it, it knows what it was. Uh, on the other hand, if a non-land permanent with X in its mana cost is returned to the player's hand, uh, X is zero because X doesn't matter anymore. Um, X is boring. X is null. We don't we don't count it. Okay. Sweet. All right. Next up is Radagast the Brown. <laughs> I'm so green... glad this card is in this set. Which is a green card. Yeah. Because obviously, in in keeping with the um you know uh name the color. Uh, and it not being that actual color. Uh, Radagast the Brown is two green green for a 2-5 legendary creature, Avatar Wizard. Whenever Radagast the Brown or another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top X cards of your library where X is that creature's mana value. You may reveal a creature card that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control from among those cards and put into your hand, but the rest of the bottom... Okay, let's just explain what this is in, in real terms. Radagast wants you to play a lot of uh, unique creature types. You're going to play a, a five-mana creature, okay, a five-mana bear. You're going to look at the top five cards of your library, because you're five-mana bear, and then you're gonna you may reveal a creature card that doesn't share a creature type with any creature you control. Okay. And then you're gonna put that you're gonna be able to put that in your hand, and then you're gonna put the rest of the cards on the bottom. So you don't wanna pay changelings with this. You wanna definitely construct your deck to have a lot of different creature types. Now, there is one little quirky thing about Radagast the Brown, other than the fact that no one who has actually like read the Lord of the Rings books really knows a whole lot about Radagast the Brown. He's, I think he's in like the Cimmerillion and then the, the Hobbit movies because they had to take a like a 200-page book and turn it into nine hours of movies. But um, <laughs> he's, it says whenever Radagast the Brown or another non-token creature, if you make a token copy of Radagast the Brown, then it's the ability is still going to trigger because that token that's entering the battlefield is 
Radagast the Brown. And the non-token creature part applies to stuff other than Radagast the Brown. Tricky, but yeah, solid. Yep, that's it. Right on. Next up, Ring Sight. The art on this is amazing. I absolutely love it. Ring Sight is a sorcery for one, a blue, and a black. It reads, the ring tempts you. Search your library for a card that shares a color with a legendary creature you control. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. Nope, it's not going to let you search for a colorless card. Even if you control a colorless legendary creature. Colorless is not a color. I will repeat that until the end of time. Colorless is not a color. Now here, your ring bearer, remember, is legendary as part of the ability that makes it the ring bearer. So once you've chosen a random grizzly bear, sorry, bear cub, to be your ring bearer, that is now legendary and will count for the purposes of ring sight. Excellent. Um, next card is Sauron the Necromancer. For three, a black and a black, it is a 4-4 legendary creature avatar horror because of course it is. It has menace and a trigger whenever Sauron the Necromancer attacks. Exile target creature card from your graveyard. Create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of that card, except it's a 3-3 black wraith with menace. At the beginning, <laughs> what a horrifying sentence. At the beginning of the next end step, exile that token unless Sauron is your ring bearer. Okay. Some flavorful things happening here. Uh, the token is a wraith instead of its creature types. So if the, the card was a 2-2 two, two bear, um, it's no longer a bear. It's now a wraith. Sad. Um, it's black instead of its other colors. And its base power and toughness is 3-3. Three, three. Uh, those are the copyable va uh, values of that card. But what happens if the creature I exile is a clone and I want to clone bear cup who came up with this question this uh, this is this is brian brian you did this right yeah yeah I did. okay so the delayed trigger to exile the token checks to see if sauron is the ring bearer at the time the delayed trigger oh, resolved no, no, no. You, did, no, you no. just asked the question you didn't answer it i didn't answer <laughs> it because i just want to skip it <laughs> well hold on now so what That's happens an important one what happens if the creature you exile a clone and you want to clone you can't clone bear cub why can't I clone Bear Cub? You, you just can't. You, you get your three three black no. wraith and you're happy with it. No, we're gonna ask the we're gonna ask the question. Marcos, you want to take a stab? So I got a clone. Oh boy, I got a clone in my All graveyard. Right. Okay. Okay. I and and Sauron the Necromancer attacks, and I have exiled uh, the clone creature card from my graveyard. Mm -hmm. So put me on the spot here because I don't know the answer immediately so i'm going to use my judge thinking skills okay. and try to work this through a, and possibly embarrass myself a, a in front of card, many many viewers a similar card is the scarab god mm, okay okay so if that if that helps it doesn't but okay. that's great right. i still got it so okay. we got our clone right. comes onto the battlefield okay and as it enters the battlefield you're going to choose a creature for it to become a clone of mm -hmm. and it spots the bear cub so it's going to try to clone the bear cub. So now it's Xeroxing the bear cub. We have a bear cub. And then the effects of Sauron are going to apply, saying that it is actually going to be black and a wraith and have menace. No? no? What's going no. to happen? Tell me why. No, because, because, because the clone is doing something when it comes in and it wants to do the thing that it wants to do. 
So you're creating mm. you're creating the card. I see why he's asking it. It's it's mm-hmm. it is a clone with the clone ability that is a instead of a shapeshifter, it's a wraith. So instead you may a... you may you may have clone enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield. Yeah. Well, hold on. So right, it's the clone has that text, but it's uh it's a three three instead of a zero zero. It's a wraith instead of having shapeshifter, and it's got menace. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And is it is it black or anything like that? No. Okay. It is. Is it is black? Is it? It's a copy. It's a three three black oh, okay. wraith. Yeah. So menace. it's it's black. Okay. Then that's that's what it is. But it's also got the clone ability that says as this enters the battlefield, it becomes a copy of something else. So your clone ah. has like instead of in the corner the three. Oh. Yeah. See what he's doing to us now. You God, see? I see. I so see. I, and so I end up getting a bear cub that's not a wraith, not a three three, and doesn't have menace. That's incredible. I love that, and I have no problem with being totally wrong and trying to sort that out because that's why we do this. So ultimately, to to maybe like make that easier to grok for somebody who might not be following, what the Sauron is doing is changing the card that is being copied but then as it's entering the battlefield whatever the text is on the card is going to overwrite so instead of being a clone shapeshifter with zero zero it then becomes a black wraith three three with menace that then has that ability and then xerox is on top of it eliminating all of that it's not exactly a copy effect it's you're creating the card as a copy Okay, mm. so yeah, 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 it's still it's still a copy effect, but it's it's like the initial copy effect that then that then that is is applied on creation, and then you've got the ability on top of it that that then applies, making it a, a, a copy effect on top of it. yeah. There you go. Okay, are we, are we, are, today, are we done? And we figured it out. <laughs> Ten thousand. Are you? <laughs> I got there. I learned it. Um. So... <laughs> I'm sorry, Marcus. There's a there's a it's there's all a, good. There's what the XKCD comic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, ten thousand. Okay, so um, we'll we'll uh, close out the notes on Sauron by saying that the delayed trigger to exile the token checks to see if Sauron is the ring bearer at the time the delayed trigger resolves, and this ability cares about this Sauron being the ring bearer. So no blink shenanigans. I'm looking at you, gentle listener. All right. Uh, next up is Shadow of the Enemy, which is three black, black, black for a sorcery. Hey, look at that. Um, exile all creature cards from target player's graveyard. You may cast spells from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and mana of any type can be spent to cast them. Holy balls like wow all right wild right it's just you're getting rid of your you're getting rid of their graveyard and you're essentially turning it into part of your hand amazing um so this card uses a new template that indicates uh that you can spend mana as though it were mana of any type uh to cast these exiled cards okay for this template there are six types of mana Okay, not that's different from colors, but there is there is Wooberg and then there is colorless. Okay, there are not six colors, but there are six types of mana. Snow mana is not a type of mana. Okay, uh, 
it is mana from a snow source. So if you don't got snow sources, you don't got snow mana. I love to say that. Got snow. <laughs> don't got no. Got don't got snow sources. That's snow moon. <laughs> well, yep, yep. All right. So the next card we have here is Sharky, Tyrant of the Shire. Not baby. This Sharky is full grown. This is two, a blue and a black for a legendary creature, Avatar Rogue, 2-4. Activated abilities of lands your opponent's control can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. Sharky, Tyrant of the Shire, has all activated abilities of lands your opponent's control except mana abilities. And, as we just mentioned, mana of any type can be spent to activate Sharky's abilities. So here, Sharky gains all the activated abilities, but excludes mana abilities. It does not gain keyword abilities, unless they happen to be activated. Uh, it doesn't gain triggered abilities or static abilities. So to use an example, we have Legacy Classic Barbarian Ring, which is a land, tap to add red to your mana pool, deals one damage to you, and Threshold, red tap, sacrifice Barbarian Ring, Barbarian Ring deals two damage to target creature or player so in this instance it would exclude the mana abilities which would be the tap to add red and here it would gain red tap sacrifice deals two damage because activated abilities in will contain a colon and they're going to be phrased with cost colon effect so in this example we have threshold which is red tap sacrifice barbarian ring colon so all of that before the colon is the activated uh, cost, what you need to do to activate this ability. Then after the colon is Barbarian Ring deals two damage to target creature or player. Now, that means also <clears throat> you would need to sacrifice, in this case where it says Barbarian Ring deals two damage to target creature or player because you're sacrificing Barbarian Ring. Every time it says Barbarian Ring, that really just means this card for the purposes of activating the ability. So what Sharky actually is saying here is red tap sacrifice Sharky and Sharky will deal two damage to target creature or player. You could do that, but do you really want to? Don't do that. And again, the last line there is another example of that new templating type that we just talked about regarding mana. Same thing, white, blue, black, red, green, colorless. That's it. Hold on, did you, did you say you could activate barbarian ring if you don't have threshold or the sharky ring if you don't have threshold oh i did not mention threshold on there at all <laughs> thank you for the reminder so threshold here says that you can only activate this if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard so you uh would need to have uh threshold yeah activated here for it to actually be active on sharky Cause, cause threshold's actually been er the cards have been eroded so threshold so it's it's yeah activate only if seven or more cards in your graveyard are, is part of the ability but correct so that fully reads red tap sacrifice barbarian ring parentheses if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard no it's not it's not parentheses it's oh it's not no it's it's part of the the oracle text is red tap sacrifice barbarian ring colon it deals two damage to any target activate only if seven or more cards are in your graveyard period so it's part of, oh, it's part okay. of the ability and this everyone out there is a reminder of why you don't just read the face of the card especially if it's a legacy card that was printed forever ago look at the oracle text that has the current information yeah 
I went to I went to go get the rules text for Threshold and like it wasn't there. <laughs> and then I just found in the glossary it was just like, oh, all cards with threshold have just been eroded. It's a, it's an ability word now. And I was like, oh. They're going deep. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So um we're we're getting close to the end here. Uh, and, and I've got nothing on it. I don't know. I'm I was trying I was trying to figure it out. But what we're gonna talk about next is Smite the Deathless. It, for one in a red, it's an instant. Uh and it has a wonderful, wonderful graphic on it. Um, Smite the Deathless deals 3 damage to target creature. That creature loses indestructible until end of turn. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Uh, the dying can happen at any point in the turn, not just from Smite the Deathless damage. And if Smite the Deathless's damage is prevented somehow, the addition effects will still apply. Yep. So we, we have in this set, we have a Saruman of many colors. We've got a Saruman the White, okay? Um, that's that's a, that's a lot of Saruman's. You might say that we have a storm of Saruman. <laughs> so the next card is Storm of Saruman. It's you've heard the song. It's raining men. This is it's raining Saruman. It's just it's just one really big one off. It's the... it's, it's raining wizards. Yeah, it just yeah. one. Where does this happen in the books? <laughs> uh, it's in the appendix, subchapter three. It's it's got it, yeah. It's it's a little Saruman spoilers on a movie that's fifteen years old and a book that's like almost a hundred years old. Like Saruman doesn't die the way he does in the in the movie. Uh, but anyway, four blue blue for an enchantment with Ward three. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, copy it. Except the copy isn't legendary. Okay, you may choose new targets for the copy. Okay. Um, a copy of a permanent become of a permanent spell becomes a token. Okay, it's not the second spell after Storm of Saruman is cast. It's the second spell each turn total. Meaning, if Storm of Saruman is the first spell you cast on your turn, the next spell you cast will be copied. If you cast a spell and then cast Storm of Saruman, Storm of Saruman was your second spell, so you don't get a copy. Womp womp. Yep. All right. So we're just gonna kind of skip over. It's the you know uh, standard standard copy stuff. Um, <laughs> little disclaimer there. Little disclaimer. Yeah. Go listen to a previous episode where we talk about all the things about like if a spell that's copied has X, whose you know X value is determined as it's cast. The copy has the same value of X. You can't you can't choose to pay an additional cost for a copied <laughs> spell however effects based on additional copy blah 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 anyway um <laughs> if a permanent spell is copied it's going to be put onto the battlefield as a token that does not count as creating a token though for things like rosy cotton of south lane which we're not talking about that card because everybody else on the internet is all right <laughs> you already know what it does but that's the oh. thing. Like tokens that are tokens that enter the battlefield from uh, Storm of Saruman are not created. Finger quotes. Not going to talk about a card that we mentioned here. The Judgecast listeners are going to feel a sense of treason. I think. What? Because we didn't talk about Rosie Cotton. Yeah. Or just because of the treason of Isengard, oh. which is our next card. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> got him. You got. Got him. Got him. So Treason of Isengard is a sorcery for two and a blue. Put up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard on top of your library. A mass orcs two. And fun reminder text to remind you what a mass orcs does. Now, 
because of the text that says put up to one target instant or sorcery card, you can choose zero targets. And in fact, you can just cast this spell if you just want to amass orcs. Doesn't need a target, but if you do choose to target something, if you do choose that one target instant or sorcery card in your graveyard, and then someone exiles your graveyard, or the target is just made invalid through some other means, you're not going to resolve the rest of the spell, and you won't get your orcs or your army, unless you already have one. Mm. Next. I'm watching you. You, you, I'm, I'm, I'm really. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so the next one is the Watcher in the Water. Uh, it's three blue, blue. It's a nine, nine legendary creature, Kraken or Kraken or Kraken or Kraken. I don't know. Go watch Pirates of the Caribbean. You figure it out. <laughs> the Watcher in the Water enters the battlefield tapped with nine stun counters on it. If a per, it has reminder text here. I think it's reminder text because it is in parentheses and it's italicized. If a permanent with a stun counter would become untapped, remove one from it instead. Sounds like reminder text. Then it says, whenever you draw a card during an opponent's turn, create a 1-1 blue tentacle creature token. Whenever a tentacle you control dies, untap up to one target Kraken or Kraken and put a stun counter on up to one target non-land permanent. So the only thing here is, is with the last ability... If the target Kraken or Kraken is the Watcher in the Water, if it has any stun counters on it, you won't untap it and instead just remove a stun counter. That's it. In fact, that is it, unless we want to talk about Rosie. Eh, that's it. That's it. I guess. Yeah, you know what? We're, we're coming in at just, just around two hours. This is awesome. We're going to we're gonna set a new land speed record for a, uh, a uh, release episode. Got there. How's everybody feeling? Excited? Upset about the ring? Super hype? So, so, so here's here's the thing. We could really focus on the one mechanic and the and the and the fact that the one ring is feels unflavorful in certain ways, and that's great. I mean, sure, but in the end, I think the art hits so many notes for me. It's it's really well thought out. Uh, the the art is absolutely stunning for this set i i say it time and time again but but i really do think the artists hit it out of the hit it out of the park the overall um characters that they used the flavor the flavor notes on each of the individual cards and then it looks like the mechanics are good um the one ring's a little weird i think and and that's going to cause some confusion with players i feel but overall i think it's great and i'm excited to see it yeah i i have to agree here because as somebody who is admittedly not a Tolkien super fan, I watched the extended edition once in college, and I think I was traumatized by how long it was. But looking at this card set and seeing not just how incredible the art is, like you mentioned, how fun the set looks in general, but also seeing how many people are really excited by like the deep cuts and everything, it just reminds me of some of the reasons why I think universes beyond cards in general can be really fun, because... If this was a property I was really into, you bet I would be losing my mind at all these deep cuts. Like, I have a feeling that when the Doctor Who ones come out later on, I'm going to have some cards that I feel very excited to talk about. So overall, even though, like, this isn't something that's necessarily my bag or something, like, I'd be super into and go way out of my way to collect, it's actually gotten me to the point that I'm interested in learning about some of these stories and some of these characters. And, like, just the other day, I was listening to a podcast that talked about some deep cuts from 
this set. And I think that's really awesome that Magic can go that deep into something that a lot of people really care about. Ryan, especially, it seems. Well, I I think they picked they this set is a good a good IP for Magic because there is a whole lot of overlap because Magic kind of overlaps Dungeons and Dragons and Dungeons and Dragons is a direct descendant of Lord of the Rings. Like it's yeah 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 also like wargaming chainmail game and stuff like that. But the you know Lord of the Rings is in the DNA of Magic the Gathering. It's much more a much better fit than like Warhammer 40k, which sure. You know, so yeah, like Rat Radagast the Brown Ringsite, Wraiths, Nazgul, they all fit on a, a, on a magic card. Like, it's not a big stretch. Um, phone booths with Doctor Who, even though I am, might be a bit of a, uh, of a, of a stretch. And uh, what are the, the Cybermen and stuff like that might be a, a bit mm. much for me. But yeah. we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even really hit any sagas in the set. There's a saga called In the Darkness, Bind Them. I mean, I'm just, just shivers. It's just so well thought out and so well put together. I can't wait to see fans play it this weekend. Um, That's going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be neat. All right. So do we have any other notes or any other other things? Marcus, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, not particularly. I plugged my Twitter last time. I feel like it's going to be more dangerous to plug it after this episode. So, uh, but I'll still throw it out there anyways. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at MJ six music and I'm free to chat about whatever. Cool. Cool. Uh, Brian, any other thoughts or anything else you want to, you want to talk about? No, other than build a pony is awesome. Build a pony is awesome. Build a pony is awesome. <laughs> the- Really do like that, that was card. sweet. Yeah, yeah. He's just a he's just a, he's just a, a chunky little chunky little boy. So, so with that, it's time. Everybody loves a good chunkster. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so with that, it's time to call it a show. Join us next time when we invite a very special guest on to talk about managing a large event. Until then, you can find us at JudgeCast on all the things, including Facebook, Twitter, JudgeCast at Gmail Patreon, coming to a whatnot stream near you with mugs of facing and bear cub stickers. Legal disclaimer, not all things, but close enough. We're also doing some pop-up marketing with JudgeCast the coloring book and JudgeCast the bumper sticker. I'm Charles Feather, and I keep it fair. I'm Marco Sanchez, and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman, and I do simply walk into Mordor. Was was that was that at the end there that little spiel at the end were you making a spaceballs parody?